Good morning, Branch family. I'm coming to you from our branch office, and I'm glad you guys are able to uh, join us this morning uh, via an online platform to be able to still sit with us as we open the Word of God. Um, as, as many of you know, uh, through the month of March, we will not be meeting or gathering on a Sunday morning as a church um, to honor the authorities and power, as well as following kind of the district's uh, the school district guidelines. Uh, we, we want to do our due diligence to love our community well and to protect our community uh, with even doing our part to make sure that we are not um, advancing the spread of the coronavirus, but actually uh, protecting one another, protecting our community. Um, and so I encourage you guys in, in the coming weeks, us as elders are working through um, how to best love our community and, and even love um, the branch within this season. And so I ask that you guys kind of keep an eye out for emails in your inbox um, or through our Instagram at the Branch Corvallis um, as one of the best ways to be able to stay up to date about what's going on as we're uh, going to continue to share on Sunday mornings via podcasts. Uh, we're trying to navigate through um, a number of different formats in which that can happen so we can actually be able to see one another even if it means that uh, we will be apart um, in person. Uh, we want to very much cultivate community in this season. And so please keep your eye out for that as we strive to continually breathe the community of the branch, even if uh, we're quarantined and kind of separate from one another. Uh, this morning, we are going to pick up back into the book of Mark. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 1, uh, verses 21 through 39. So I ask you to turn there. Um, as you guys are turning there, I'm going I'm to pray over our time this morning. Uh, Lord God. God, we praise you that you are the good God that is sovereign. Lord, in the midst of this confusion and chaos, um, in the midst of a lot of unknowns, we know that, that all these things are known to you, that you are faithful, that you are just, that, that you are righteous, Lord, and we can cling to that reality. God, I pray for our country right now as, as it's in the midst of turmoil and fear has crippled us as well as crippled many nations. God, I pray that in the midst of this season, um, we can actually be a beacon of hope to this community, a beacon of hope to our friends, to our family. God, may we continually recognize that, that you are in control. And because you are in control, we can place our hope in you. Lord, may this not be a season where we run to fear, but may this be a season in which we run to you as the good God, the faithful God, the one we can trust and cling to. And God, even as we continue and mark this morning, as we look at the authoritative Christ, may we find joy, comfort, and satisfaction in Christ, the one who came to make us come to you to bring us into your fold and to unite us with you, Lord. May we put our comfort and confidence in your Son, the Most High God. Lord God, we praise you for who you are. And we, we pray over our time this morning. In your name, amen. In N.T. Wright's book on the Gospel of Mark, uh, he shares a story of a horrific disaster at sea. You see, there's this large tourist ferry that is set out on a voyage full of cars and people leaving on vacation. But one of the crew members forgot to shut its doors properly. Therefore, shortly into the voyage, the boat begins taking on water and taking on water quickly. As the water gushes into these various compartments and passageways, panic sets in. 
People went from joyful for their vacation to fear and dread in the matter of minutes. As they fought for survival, as the boat continued to fill up with water and continued to sink inch by inch. Yet in the midst of the chaos and fear and anxiety, one man took charge. You see, this man wasn't even a member of the crew, yet in a loud and clear voice, he began yelling out orders, telling the people what to do. And as he took charge, relief began to set in among the people. Due to him taking charge, many people were actually able to reach lifeboats that realistically would have missed, missed them in the dark and rushing water that was filling the cabins. Yet the man heard yelling and screaming, and so he went deeper into the boat, into the main section of the boat, and found people trapped in the hold which is the cargo area of the boat. And so with one hand, he grabs hold of a ladder, and with the other, he grabs hold of the submerging ship, and arms outstretched, he creates a literal human bridge, enabling those in the hold to use his body and escape to safety. Yet when this dramatic nightmare of an event was over, the man himself was found to have drowned. As N.T. Wright so eloquently says, he had literally given his life and using the authority he had assumed, the authority by which many have been saved. Today we read of another man, Jesus the Christ, who had told us that the kingdom of God is at hand, therefore repent and believe. And today we experience Jesus at work. You see, Mark provides with us really a day in the life of Jesus, as we're with Jesus from sun up on Saturday to sun up on Sunday. The work of Jesus says something about the kingdom of Jesus. The work of Jesus says something about kingdom purpose. And the work of Jesus ultimately says something about the authority of the king. An authority that has come to save. You see, today as as we walk through this text, we will see in full force that Jesus has the authority over the temporal, supernatural, and physical realm. Let's read our passage, Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 39, and it says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread throughout everywhere everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came to her and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. 
And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So Mark uses these these various snapshots to effectively and articulately paint a picture of who Jesus is, why he has come, and what authority he bears. Mark begins by revealing that Jesus has the authority over the temporal realm. The temporal realm. Our story picks up in Capernaum off the coast of Galilee. And Jesus is in the synagogues teaching the people. Though we don't know exactly what he's teaching, we know the response of the listeners. They were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who has authority and not as the scribes. See, Jesus taught as one who had authority and his authority actually stood in contrast to that of the scribes. So the question ought to be, who are the scribes? You see, Mark introduces us to a people who we'll see ends up being a primary antagonist in the gospel. So who are they? The scribes had three major roles in Israel. First, they were a Torah professor. The Torah being the first five books of the Bible, it contains the law of God. Second, they were the teacher slash kind of moralist. Uh, They were capable of making these binding decisions on interpretation. Um, And third, they were a civil lawyer. So just kind of imagine a pastor, professor, lawyer, all wrapped up in one. And in this theocracy, scribes had an elevated role in society. Commoners would actually defer to the scribes as they walked through the streets. They would literally separate and part ways so these men could walk. You see, scribes, apart from a few individuals, were actually the only ones who could enter the Sanhedrin, which was the religious ruling authority of that day. The first seats, which are really the best seats in the synagogues, were reserved for scribes. And as scribes walked into the synagogue, everyone would stand out of respect for the individual. You see, scribes were a big deal in Israel and highly revered. And yet Jesus, in his teaching, established his authority over the highest authoritative power in the temporal realm. Jesus trumps the ruling authority of the day. By Jesus' teaching as one who had authority, it suggests that Jesus' teachings were actually radical in many ways that actually felt contradictory to the scribes, to their teachings. And we'll experience and read of some of these teachings in the coming chapters of Mark as as we see Jesus teach on the Sabbath in chapter 2, as we see him profess and proclaim the purity laws in chapter 7, and as he walks through divorce in chapter 10. We'll ultimately see that, that Jesus' words carries authority. His words carry authority that, is, that trumps that of the scribes. But, but can we say the same today? Do we view Jesus as the authority in our life? See, Jesus is still alive today sitting at the right hand of the Father, speaking through His Word, and His authority is preeminent in our temporal realm. Always and forever, Jesus is preeminent. But the question, do you view Jesus as an authority in your life or the authority in your life? 
okay, I'm a basketball guy. And so just imagine if LeBron James came up to you and said, hey, bro, I want to train you to become an all-around better basketball player. And let's, let's add in Steph Curry, too. And Steph comes up and says, hey, I want to make you the best shooter possible. We need another splash, brother. But, but to do that, that meant I was going to have to get up at 4.30 every day to get to the gym. 4.30 in the morning, that is. I was going to have to put up 500 shots every day, and I was going to have to spend four hours in the gym just doing drills. Well, obviously, for me, that'd be a no-brainer. You would take that chance in a heartbeat. You would jump at the chance because they're world-class reigning authority on basketball and shooting. But, but what if they started to tell you that, you know what, you have to wear a certain kind of clothes, you have to listen to a certain kind of music. Oh, you can or cannot date this person. You can or cannot do this on the weekend. I think, I think you'd say, wait, well, hold up. I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, you're the leading authority on basketball, and I receive your basketball advice as if it's gold. But you don't have authority in those areas of my life. Let's just have our relationship stick to basketball. You see, see don't we treat Jesus the same way? We see Jesus just as an authority in our life, but not the authority. You see, it isn't that difficult to have Jesus be an authority in your life. He's just one of your many advisors, which usually means that he simply affirms what you already believe is true. See, Jesus is an authority until he tells you something you don't like, right? And then we start to question God. Just like our first parents, Adam and Eve. Well, did you really say that? Jesus, do you even love me? Can I trust you? Do you have my best interests in life? You see, when Jesus affirms what we already want to do, we call him authority. Otherwise, he takes the back seat. And we all know no one likes a back seat driver. The question is, does he dictate your view on dating relationships? On marriage? on sexuality, on your occupation, what you're going to do with your life? Does, does he dictate how you spend your money, how you spend your time? See, the reality is Jesus is not just an authority in your life. He is the authority. Yet I know we, we culturally struggle with authority. We have seen the horrific abuses of authority historically through events like the Atlantic slave trade, the Holocaust, and Stalin's Russia. And we continue to experience them and fight against them in our own culture through movements like the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, gender equality. So we fight the system. We see authority as negative and often respond by becoming our own authority. That's our life motto. You do you. And you know what? I'll do me. But that mindset doesn't work with Christ. Nor do we want it to. Because not only is Jesus the authority, but he is the best authority we can have. For he is good and he desires our good. He is the God of the universe, the creator of the world. He is the one who can empathize with us because he was tempted in every way and did not sin. He's not an abusive authoritarian, but that of a loving parent towards his child. Jesus is the shepherd that goes after the one lost sheep. 
And we see that his authority comes through his word. As Second Timothy says, all scripture is breathed out by God. So you see, it carries that authority and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Jesus knows what is good for us better than we do. I mean, he is the founder and finisher of our faith. What better authority can we cling to? So I urge you as brothers and sisters to know your Bibles. To know what God says and to embrace the truth of Scripture. I believe we all want to be and feel complete as humans. And and we are told that Scripture makes that a reality. I mean, we're just told in 2 Timothy that all Scripture breathed out by God is so that the man of God may be complete. So I encourage you, even in this, in this odd season that we're entering into, where we realistically will have more time on our hands due to the coronavirus, we'll be oftentimes cooped up in home for lengthier sections than we're used to. May we see this as a time in which we can actually commune with God. Instead of just drowning our time in Netflix or YouTube TV or something else that saturates our time, may we be saturated in the Word of God. Reading, meditating, and spending time praising the one who has authority in our life. See, as Jesus is boldly and authoritatively teaching, We also see he encounters a man who's possessed by a demon. And as this encounter ensues, we actually see that Jesus not only has authority over the temporal realm, but has authority over the supernatural realm. Pick it up in verse 23. It says, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? That Jesus rebuked, or what do you have to do with us, Jesus and others? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. You see, in the midst of these teachings that Jesus is giving to the people, he comes head to head with a demon. It's kingdom of God versus dominion of Satan. The demon uses the title Holy One of God and it points to a recognition and awareness that this demon is up against a superior spiritual power. For he finds himself battling against God himself. And it is not even a contest. You see, at the words of Jesus, the demon is silenced and put into submission. The minions of the Prince of Darkness are no match for the Son, the King of Light. The Holy One of God wins the day. Jesus' authority is saying, Satan, your days are numbered. The kingdom of God is expanding as he binds the strong man and takes over strongholds. The king is on the move. This kingdom is ever expanding and he plays for keeps. See, twice in the story, Jesus is said to silence demons. The demons in the synagogue yell out, 
that Jesus is the Holy One of God. A very true statement. And Jesus responds, be silent and come out. Verse 25. And later in verse 24, it says, Jesus cast out many demons to not speak. And why is that? Because they knew him. So why does Jesus silence the demons? You see, the emphasis of silence is a significant theme in, in Mark's theology that we'll continue to address in the weeks to come. And the reality is there are many, there are many thoughts on why Jesus silenced them. They range from Jesus not wanting demons to be the one to speak truth about him for ultimately their questionable witnesses, to Mark actually having a specific Christological understanding that plays out in the silence. See, and it's a great question, but I think ultimately what we can for sure cling to and, and know is that Jesus' authority over the supernatural, his silencing of demons actually points to his deity. He is the son of God for even the unclean spirits obey him. You see, typically exorcists would call on the name of a deity. They'd utter some spell or magical mumbo jumbo in their attempt to expel the unclean spirit. I mean, even when Jesus sends out the 72 in Luke 10, they return rejoicing. And they say, even the demons are subject to us in your name, at the name of Jesus. You see here, Jesus does none of that. He doesn't, he doesn't have some spell or some magical lingo, but rather just commands and the demon listens. He simply speaks as one with authority and the demon listens and is compelled to obey. Jesus' interaction with this unclean spirit this interaction with, with many unclean spirits in this passage emphasizes his authority over the supernatural. And it's Jesus' authority in this matter that is something we can cling to for hope and encouragement in our lives. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the evil forces in the heavenly places. See, it is those that we wrestle with. It is those that we fight against. It is those that at the word of Christ are silenced. You see, the sun blots out the darkness. And as we cling to the sun, as we hope in the sun, darkness flees. These events in Mark are but a foreshadow of what is to come. Jesus is not only king of the world, but he is king of the cosmos. His kingdom is ever expanding. And when he returns, both heaven and earth are his. You see, we know the end of the story. Jesus Christ, victorious, and Satan thrown into the lake of fire to be tormented day and night, forever and ever. We can place our hope in Christ's authority, for His authority is good. His authority is for His glory and our good. So the reality is we look at the world around us and we see heartache and we see ultimately it seems like Satan advancing and crushing us on all sides. 
We look to a passage like this in Mark and cling to the reality that Christ has won. For his authority will not be stifled. But rather we know that when the end comes, Christ reigns supreme as king of the world. He is the ultimate authority. You see, we see Jesus command this unclean spirit, emphasizing his authority over the spiritual forces. And then lastly, Jesus' power over sickness and disease reveals his authority over the temporal realm. I mean, the physical realm. So upon leaving the synagogue, they head straight to Simon Peter's house where his mother-in-law is laying with a fever. Pick it up in verse 30, it says, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, and she began to serve them. So we see Mark transitions from a very public exorcism of a demon to a very private encounter with Simon Peter's mother-in-law. An incident told in dramatic terms, loud cries and authoritative commands that that leaves the crowd in awe and amazement to a home with just a few people and a fevered woman. Mark's gospel negates the portrait of Jesus as just some traveling healer with a set technique. But rather, it, it, it shows that he is a man of authority who responds with an appropriate way to differing needs as he meets them. He knows the needs of his people and responds appropriately. Even in the midst of being the most authoritative person to ever live, he engaged with with common people and common needs. The king of the world. And he spends his time with his friend's sick mother-in-law. What a beautiful image of the king we serve. And then fast forward to the evening and we actually see the whole city coming to Jesus. You see, they waited until sundown because that marked the end of the Sabbath when it was permissible for the sick to be brought to Jesus where they could, he could legitimately undertake healing according to Sabbath restrictions. Mark says, At evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. You see, collectively commentators state that that the statement, he healed many, in the Hebrew sense of the word, actually means the whole community. So those who came to see him were healed. See, Jesus has authority over the physical ailments in one's life. Jesus' healer plays actually a predominant theme in Mark. We're going to see over 15 accounts of Jesus healing people in the gospel. And yet, what's an interesting note is that throughout the entirety of the gospel, we don't see Jesus going out of his way and pursuing people to heal. John Frame, a renowned scholar on Mark, says, We have no indication that Jesus himself went out looking for patience. The language is always of them either being brought to him or taking the initiative and approaching him themselves. He was not engaged in a healing campaign. Healing and exorcism, as important as they were in his total ministry, arose not so much by design 
as from a natural response to need as he encountered it, boosted by people's desire to benefit from his unique authority. This, this reality is further expressed and emphasized as the story progresses. For we find Jesus the next morning in a place of solitude praying. And Simon Peter finds him and, and wants him to come back to the crowd. He's saying, everybody is looking for you. Jesus' fame has sparked overnight. He's the talk of the town. And now everybody wants a piece of him. Yet how does Jesus respond? Verse 38. Let us go on to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Saying, let's leave so that I can continue to preach. Though the healing was a vital part of his ministry, though it showed the authority he had over the physical, Jesus is revealing his purpose. He's revealing why he came. Again, verse 38, he says, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Proclaiming the kingdom of God with authority is of utmost importance to Christ. He is the herald of the kingdom. Not only are the signs of the kingdom important, but the message of the kingdom is of vital importance. The message to repent and believe. For Jesus, preaching the kingdom was more important than physical healing and even exorcism. Why? Because there is a deeper and more profound need within all of us than just simply physical healing. What is physical healing worth without spiritual healing and renewal? You see, this morning, you might be physically in pain could be an ailment from an injury or it could be a degenerative illness that is slowly taking over your body. Or you, you, you could be on the other end of the spectrum and you could be the healthiest specimen to ever walk the earth. Yet we know death comes for us all. You see, the world death rate holds steady at 100%. Regardless of whether you need physical healing or not, apart from Christ, we all need spiritual healing. And not just spiritual healing, but spiritual renewal and transformation. You see, Scripture says that we are all dead in our sins. Sin is the ultimate gender disease that kills all that it touches. It makes you the walking dead. You need to be made new. And the only way to be healed is to enter the kingdom of God, to come under the authority of Christ and to give your fealty to King Jesus. And we see the entry into that kingdom is through repentance and belief. And how do we know that this is sufficient? We know because the one who knew no sin the one whom Satan had no hold on his life bore my sin, bore your sin, bore our sin, and went to the cross on our behalf. Arms stretched out on the cross, he became the bridge between us and God. The only human to ever have all authority used his authority to save wretched sinners 
and bring them into his kingdom. Jesus' authority over the temporal, he spoke the word of God and heralded the kingdom of God. Jesus' authority over the supernatural, he defeated Satan, the king of lies, the prince of darkness, his dominion and his lackeys. And Jesus' authority over the physical, he actually defeated death. By rising three days later, the grave could not hold him. We enter the kingdom through repentance and belief. Repent of your sins. Repent of the ways in which you have rebelled against God. Repent of the ways in which you have chosen to be your own authority. Instead of embracing Christ's authority, giving your fealty to Him. And then believe. Believe the gospel message. That as a follower of Christ, you pledge your fealty to one, the only true authoritative one, the King of the world, Jesus the Christ. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We believe that Jesus has the authority that he says he has. And we embrace that reality. You see, this passage emphasizes Jesus' authority over the temporal, the supernatural, and the physical. We also see the emphasis Jesus places on his, his teaching and his preaching. I mean, our text opens with Jesus teaching in the synagogue. And our text ends with Jesus preaching in the synagogues. Jesus proclaims preaching as the reason he came out. Preaching was his purpose. And the reality is, as Jesus' purpose, that informs the believer's purpose. What is the purpose of the life of a believer? We are the king's men and king's women. We are about the business of our king. As believers, we become heralds for the king. Therefore, the purpose Christ has given us is to preach, to proclaim, to share the kingdom first and foremost. Think of the closing words of the Gospel of Matthew. All authority has been given to me. That's Jesus. All authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. You see, the authority Christ has, He has actually bestowed onto us to follow through and to be His message proclaimers. See, in this account we read, Jesus actually moved himself from good things to move on and proclaim the main thing, the kingdom of God. So the question is, do we orient our lives the same way? How we've been changed by the gospel to the point that the gospel is our driving focus. Do we orchestrate our lives around proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ? Do we look for and make opportunities for us to grow in our gospel fluency. To read our Bibles and to think through how does the gospel speak into my life and into this passage. 
Do we engage with friends, family, professors, and coworkers with the intent of sharing the gospel hope we have? You see, in the midst of, of this bizarre time in life, I mean, I think a time that we will look back on for the rest of our life and vividly remember. In the midst of a quarantine society, we actually have the unique opportunity to speak of the hope we have in the gospel. As our world crumbles from pestilence, we can share of our true home, the kingdom of God. We can give hope to a hopeless world. We cling to the authoritative Christ. And I encourage you and urge you for for all those parents out there. I encourage you to be heralds of the kingdom to your children. The reality is in the coming weeks, your life is going to look very different. As spring break comes a week early, I'm sure it affects parents. Uh, Some are staying home. Some are trying to navigate through what that looks like. But, but I encourage you to, to think of this season not, a, not as a burden, but actually as a joy and an opportunity to intentionally live in the lives of your children. See, what would it look like to take this extra time that you have been blessed with to talk to them about Jesus, to, to read your Bibles together, for, for young kids, I highly encourage the Jesus Storybook Bible. So what we go through with Ivy every night is as we walk through stories of Scripture and how they point to Christ. And I encourage you guys to pray together. As you use this unique opportunity where it actually might keep you completely enclosed to your family to be a blessing within your family. Embrace the season we're in for God's kingdom, for his goodness. I urge us as a community that instead of seeing this the season we enter as an inconvenience, let us look at it as a joyful opportunity to purposely commune with God and share the hope we have. We are all children of the one true authoritative king who eternally reigns supreme. And to Him be all glory, honor, and praise. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we praise You that You sent Your Son to this earth to ultimately live the life that, that we could not live, to be the ultimate authority, and to use that authority to go to a cross, to die for us, that we may be made right with you, that your son served as the bridge to bring us into communion and unity with you, Lord. We praise you that that we are kingdom people. And God, I pray that we as kingdom people um, embrace that role to its fullest extent. Lord God, may we see the, the beauty in the midst of a messy season. May we see this as an opportunity to be intentional with our family, with our friends, to speak of the hope we have, to speak of the comfort we have that we were made for another world, that the kingdom of God is ultimately our true home. And we cling to you as the founder and finisher and perfecter of our faith. 
May we cling to you as the God who knows the end. And knows that the end is good for us and great for your glory. In your name, amen. I, I appreciate uh, everybody spending time this morning to, to gather um, in their homes to, to listen to God's word shared and proclaimed. And I encourage, I encourage you guys um, in, in the minutes following this to, to spend time talking with, with your family or with, with who you listened to this with to just kind of discuss what, what were some takeaways and how can I cling to Christ as authority in my life? Maybe where am I not clinging to Christ and how can I grow in that? And lastly, I encourage you guys to pray together. Pray together for, for Christ to really be that authority in our life, but also pray for our friends, neighbor, and family as, as we are in the midst of a messy season, a messy time. And we, we praise God that, that He is faithful. And He is faithful to provide. He is faithful to protect. And, and we can cling to the reality that He knows the future and it is good. And it is for His glory. Uh, lastly, like I said at the beginning, I encourage you guys in, in the days and weeks to come to just keep monitoring social media and our emails as we're trying to navigate through how we can continually stay involved in one another's lives uh, in the weeks to come. I love you all. Uh, praying for you daily. Um, may we live for His glory.